Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. All right. Good morning, Dayspring. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hey, if you're visiting us today for the first time, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you are here. We want you to feel at home. We want you to know that you're in a safe place and that uh, we believe God is going to touch your life and and you're going to have a great time and we want to invite you to come back. We also greet those that are watching us online. People tell me that whenever they don't feel good or they're out of town, they they connect online. uh, uh, So we also greet them as well. Well, today's a good Sunday. Amen. It's a good Sunday because I don't know if you can smell it, but there's a smell of food in in here. I don't know if it's me fasting or what, but, uh, you know, the Bible says that as a church, we're God's family. We're not like a family. We are a family. The unfortunate thing is that we often don't act like a family. Well, we're really good at fighting like families, but not doing all the other good things that families do. And I'm a strong believer that healthy families do two things. In fact, this is proven. Healthy families eat together. That's why today after church, we've gone through all the hassle of preparing food, setting up, because we want to ask you to just separate an hour after church to eat and get to know somebody else. Amen. Amen? I know you got plans. I got plans too. But just you're going to eat, right? You're going to go somewhere and eat. So you might as well eat here, get to know somebody. Uh, If you would like to help us, ladies, we need some help serving. So um, you can just go and get in the table and help serve. Guys, one of the ways that you can help us is at the very end, help us clean up. That would be great. The lunch is free. We do have a jar. If you want to help us cover the cost, great. If you can't, great. What we want you to do is just enjoy food and enjoy fellowship. Amen. So healthy families eat together. That's why we're going to eat together. And this summer, we're going to do a couple of those things. We're going to go to the park. We're going to go to the beach. We're going to have more church lunch ons, things like that. But the second thing that families do is that families laugh together. So I got a joke for you before we go into God's word. Amen. Because healthy families laugh. So so here's the joke. It says that an 89-year-old widow went on a blind date with a 93-year-old man. It says that as they were eating, they had their dinner. When she came home, her daughter noticed that she was kind of upset. And she said, Mom, how did your date go? And she said, well, you know, I had to slap him three times. The daughter was a bit concerned and he said, Mom, did he try to get frisky with you? And he said, No, I had to slap him three times to make sure he wasn't dead. <laughs> when you walked in, you should have gotten a bulletin. If you don't have one, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. Let's pray and go into God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for being here. You are true to your word. And you say that when two or three gather in your name, you are there, Lord. So however we may have walked in, I pray that it would not be the same way we walk out. 
If we walked in here with burdens, I pray that we would walk out with peace. If we walked in here with joy, I pray that we may walk out with gratitude, Lord. Father, as we go into your word, speak to us. We don't want it to just inform us. Most importantly, we want it to transform us. We thank you. And Lord, we say, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Today, we're going to be wrapping up a series that we started five weeks ago called The Keys of the Kingdom. Next Sunday is a big Sunday. We're going to celebrate Mother's Day. We're going to have a great time. So if you're a mom, we hope you're here. If your mom doesn't come, invite her. We're going to have something wonderful for them. But after Mother's Day, we're going to begin a new series called, you ready for this? Angels and Demons. We're going to spend four weeks talking about who are these creatures? How did they come to be? How do they operate in our world? What is the role that they play in our life? Because both of them play a role in your life. Angels and Demons. So we're going to spend some time looking at that. It's going to be a wonderful series. I hope everybody's okay back there. But we're going to be doing that after Mother's Day. Today, we're going to end our series on the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom are privileges, their access, their benefits, their authority, their power that God wants you to have and enjoy. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew 16, 19, right there in your outline. It's inside your bulletin. This has been the key verse of our series. And it says, Jesus speaking, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of what? Heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The first week, we saw the first key, which is the key of life. The key of life allows us to have a relationship with God, allows us to know God, allows us to experience the love of God. And the key of life is Jesus. When you receive Jesus, you receive life and you can come to know God and how much he loves you. The second key of the kingdom is the key of the word of God. And the word of God has an impact in us. And not only does it have an impact in us, it makes us people of impact. When the word of God is in us and we apply it in our daily life, it will cause us to have an impact. The third key is the key of prayer. And the key of prayer opens the door to the presence of God. The key of prayer is giving heaven permission to interfere on our earthly issues. And last week, we saw the fourth key, which is the key of the Holy Spirit. And we said that the Holy Spirit is not in it. It's not a thing. It's not a force. It's not good vibes. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit is God's help for us. That the Holy Spirit wants to help us come to Jesus, live like Jesus, and do the ministry of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the fifth key of the kingdom of God. And the fifth key is the key of godliness. The key of godliness. Now, when it comes to godliness, I've come to experience that there's a lot of misunderstanding as to what godliness really is. A lot of people misunderstand it, and some people narrow it down to being compassionate or merciful. 
When somebody's nice, when somebody's compassionate, when somebody's merciful, they say, oh, that person is godly. Other people see godliness as one of those characteristics or one of those compartments of the Christian life. Like some people are godly, some people are generous, some people can preach. They see godliness as a quality that some people have. The generation today defines godliness as believing in God or simply going to church. And that is actually not godliness because believing in God is not godliness because the Bible says that demons believe in God, but they're still demons. They're not godly. Godliness is much more than those things. That's why godliness is the key to the kingdom of God. In fact, what I want to do today is I want to look at godliness from different angles. First, I want us to look at what Paul says about godliness, because he's one of the characters that speaks the most about godliness. Then I want us to look at what godliness is not and what godliness is. Then how can we become more godly? And last and last but not least, I want to motivate you by giving you two big benefits of godliness. Are you with me? Amen. Let's jump in. Let's see what Paul says about godliness. Well, the first thing that Paul tells us about godliness is that we are saved for the purpose of godliness. That the goal of coming to Jesus, yes, is to save us, but that where the destination is, is to become people that are godly. Look at what Titus 1.1 says. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Look at this. That leads to what? Paul says, I was called to preach the gospel. I was called to make the truth known. To what outcome? To godliness. So that when you come to God, and so that when you get to know God, you become more what? More godly. Now, the second thing that Paul tells us about godliness is not just that we are saved for the purpose of godliness, but that we are to pray for godliness. When was the last time you prayed to God and said, God, help me to be more godly? I mean, we pray for a bunch of needs. God, give me a car. Give me a better job. Give me a man. Give me a wife. Right. But we ought to also pray, God, help me to be more godly. And I know you're wondering, well, Pastor, you haven't told us what godliness is. I know I'm doing it with a purpose. But we are to pray for godliness. Look at what 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2 says. He says, I urge you, right? And we've talked about that word urge, which is kind of a commandment. It's, there, there, there's an expectation. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may leave, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and what? Holiness. Holiness. So not only are we saved, not only should we pray, but the third thing that, Bible, that Paul tells us about godliness is that we are to train to be godly, that we are to discipline ourselves to be godly. Godliness doesn't come automatic, doesn't come natural. It's something that you work to become. 
Look at what he says in, in 1 Timothy 2 verses, I mean, 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says, instead, train yourselves to be what? Godly. So we are to train. But the fourth thing that Paul tells us about godliness is that we are to also pursue it, that we are to desire it. And that word pursue and desire implies a constant, a, a dynamic approach, a dynamic um, effort that perseveres throughout time. And look at what 1 Timothy 6, 11 says. But you, man of God, Flee from all this. And Paul just spoke about a bunch of things that people today do. And he says, flee from all these things. And he says, pursue what? Godliness. Why does Paul talk so much about godliness? Well, because godliness is valuable. Godliness has a great value to our Christian faith. And we're going to look at two of those great things that give godliness value. But what I want to do next is I want to tell you what godliness is not. Now, you've, you've already know what Paul, some of the things Paul tells us, we are safe for godliness, we are to pray for godliness, we are to train for godliness, we are to pursue godliness. But what is godliness? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what godliness is not. In 2 Timothy 3.5, he writes the following. And he says... They will act, what? Religious. Religious, but they will reject the power that could make them. Religion is not godliness. Being religious is not the same as godliness. Religion gives the impression of godliness, but it's not godliness. Because how many know you can act godly and not be godly? How many know you could talk godly and not be godly? How many know you can appear godly and not be godly? When there is an impression without the substance, that's not godliness. That's religion. And uh, we love going out to Palm Springs. And um, out there in Palm Springs, if, if you've gone out there, you always hear this buzzing sound from these bugs. I think they're called sciatic, what is it? Cicadas, yes, cicadas, they're called cicadas. Um, and they're in the trees, you could hear the noise they make and they're all over the place, the noise is all over the place. And if you look carefully, you can find a shell of the bug because they shed the shell that they, that they have. And that shell is like religion. It's a formless life. It has no life in it. It's got form, but it doesn't have life. And if you've ever tried to pick one of those shells up, they crumble. Because it's not the real animal. And religion gives the appearance of God, but it doesn't have God. So if you can walk the walk, talk the talk, and not really be godly, then how is it that we can prove or how is it that we can tell when somebody is godly? Well, Paul tells us in that verse, he says that the power of God is present. A godly person experiences the power of God in their lives. Godliness is having the power of God working in you. Listen to me. To bring lasting change. 
to bring good fruit, to bring about the promises of God in your life. So godliness is not the same as religion. You can be in church for years and not be godly. Can I get real? Sure. You could be in a ministry and not be godly. You can sing beautiful and not be godly. You can teach great and not be godly. You can be generous and not be godly. Because you can give off the appearance of godliness without the power that actually leads to godliness. So if religion is not godliness, then what is godliness? Well, let me give you a definition that I found that I thought was very fitting. And we're going to break it down. Here's the definition. It's not in your outline, but you might want to write it down somewhere. Godliness is a lifestyle that consistently reflects the character of God. Godliness is a lifestyle. It's not a belief. It's not an opinion. It's a lifestyle that consistently, not perfectly, not occasionally, but consistently. Do godly people sin? Absolutely. I just saw Manolo sin this morning. And he's godly. Okay? Do godly people sin? Yes. But they don't live in sin. So godliness is a lifestyle that consistently reflects what? Conservative values? No. Four square beliefs? No. The character of God. Those three things are essential. Lifestyle, consistently, and the character of God. Let's break it down a little bit more. Number one, you can fill this out in your outline. What is godliness? Well, in a more simple way, godliness is agreeing with God. Godliness is agreeing with God. You can't be godly and disagree with God. You can't disagree with the person you are trying to become like. If godliness is developing the character of God, then you got to agree with God. And if God says that having sex outside of marriage is wrong, then you need to agree with him and actually follow that. If God says that you shouldn't live together before you get married, well, then you need to agree with God if you want to be godly. If God says that, 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 that you shouldn't be having affairs, well, then you need to agree with God. If God says that you need to be generous, well, then you need to agree with God. Anytime you disagree with God, you are not walking towards godliness. You are walking away from godliness. And what keeps us from becoming godly people is that we keep constantly keep disagreeing with God. The second thing that godliness is, godliness is living my life in light of his presence. Living my life in light of his presence. In other words, I live my life in his presence. You know what's another thing that keeps people from becoming godly, they don't live in God's presence. They don't live with God. They give God visiting hours. God, your time is Sundays from 9.30 to 11 on the days I don't got nothing else going on. That's your time. The rest of the time, leave me alone. I'm doing my own thing. Godliness is living aware in the presence of God. When you are aware that God is with you in the car, that will lead you to godliness. When you're fighting with your spouse or your kids and you're aware that God is there, you'll act more godly. 
when you're at work and you're tempted to clock out early and not tell your boss and you're aware that God is with you, it'll help you to do the right thing. Godliness is living my life in light of his presence because his presence will have an effect in me. you, you, You know, you know what the opposite of godliness is? Worldliness. Worldliness, at least biblically speaking. Now, did you know you don't have to be evil to be worldly? Did you know you don't have to be a criminal to be worldly? You know all it takes to be worldly in biblical definitions? To leave God out. Anytime you leave God out, you're not acting godly, you're acting worldly. So that's why godliness is living your life in light of his presence. The third thing that godliness is, godliness is being obsessed with pleasing God. Godliness is being obsessed with pleasing God. Here's why. Here's why. Because before you came to Christ, your sole desire was to please yourself, to please your flesh. Whatever you wanted to do, you did. But when we come to Christ, that needs to change. Now our desire shouldn't be to do what we want, right? That's what Paul says. But to what? To please God. To say, Lord, what is your will? That's why we agree with him. And if you don't agree with him, you'll have a hard time trying to please God. Godliness is saying, Lord, I want to please you. I want to do your will. I I, I want to be conscious of you at all times so that I know what you want me to do. That's what godliness is. Now, the Bible also tells us that we need to train for godliness. So, So if that's what godliness is, you need to know that it takes work. It takes intention. That's why Paul says, persevere, pursue. Right? And here's the good news. You ready for this? If you have Jesus, you have all you need to become a godly person. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying you got everything you need. Let me prove it to you. Look at what 2 Peter 1.3 says. Look at this. It says, by his divine power, God has given us what? Everything. Some, some things? Everything. 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 You... Listen to me. You ready for this? You got no excuse to be godly. There's only one excuse, and I'll tell you what it is right now. But if you're a Christian, you got no excuse to be godly. Because Peter says that God has given us everything we need, look at this, for living a what? A godly life. We have received all this by coming to what? To know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Now, I'm going to share with you some of the things that you can, how you can train yourself to be godly. But here's the biggest thing you got to know. When Peter says that God has given us everything we need, the first thing that God gives you and the most important thing that God gives you to become a godly person is a new nature. In theology, in the process of salvation, one of the steps is called regeneration. God gives us new genes. That's why we become his children. That's why we become his son or his daughter. And what that means is that it doesn't matter who your daddy or your mama was. Now that you're in Jesus, you have a new dad. You have a new family. 
What that means is that no matter what the strongholds or what the habits or what the traditions in your family was, now that you come to Jesus, you belong to a new family. So when we come to Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit, but he also gives us a new nature. Why does he give us a new nature? Well, because your nature determines your behavior. You don't have to teach a pig to be filthy. It's in their nature. You don't have to teach birds to fly. It's in their nature. So if you are a Christian, it's in your nature to want to become godly. If you have no desire to be godly, I know this is strong, but it's true. You may not have Jesus. Because when you got Jesus, your new nature, that's what Paul says. Hey, how come the spirit wants me to do certain things, but the flesh wants me to do other things? Right? Because there's two natures at war inside of us. But that's why we have the key of the Holy Spirit to help us. You know, in the mornings, your new nature wants to spend time with God. On Sundays, your nature wants to be in the house of God. But your flesh doesn't. And that's why we need to train to become godly. I have the ability to run, but if I don't get up to run, I'll never become a good runner. You have the ability to run. You may not be a runner because you don't have the discipline of running. So you got to know that when it comes to godliness, you have everything you need. Starting with a new nature that God has given you. Now, let me give you a couple of habits. These are things that you ought to practice. And let me tell you that the order is very important, that they build on each other, okay? I'm not going to go too deep into them, but let me mention them to you. If you want to become godly, if you want to train for godliness, the first habit you need is prayer. You cannot become godly without prayer. Because you become like those people you have a relationship with. And a godly person prays regularly, not occasionally. If you only pray when you got emergencies, your life will be an emergency. But if you pray outside of emergencies, prayer will keep you outside of emergencies. We got to pray. Yesterday, we had a wonderful time in prayer. And I'm glad for those of you that, that are beginning to trickle in little by little, but we're still missing a lot of you. Come join us. We have a wonderful time. We pray. We worship. Pastor Manolo yesterday shared an encouraging word. And prayer is important towards godliness. And don't just pray on Saturdays here. Pray at home. Last At the beginning of the year, we gave you some oil. And we said, when there's special times, important times, when somebody's sick, when somebody's not feeling well, anoint them. In our home, we have the habit. Anytime somebody's not feeling good, I'll ask them, you want me to pray? And you know what's the first thing Nathan does? He runs and he gets the oil. Godly people pray. The second habit that'll help you to be godly is to trust God or to have faith in God. I don't want to use the word faith because I think we convolute it too much, but to trust God. If you don't trust God, you know what you're going to do? The Bible tells us what you're going to do. You're going to lean on your own understanding. You're going to do things your way. And the times you've gotten in a hole is because you've you've leaned on your own understanding. You've gotten yourself in trouble. You know why trusting God leads to godliness? Because trust leads to intimacy. 
And the more intimate you are with God, the more you become like God. Now, here's the thing. If you don't trust God, you won't pray. That's why prayer is important. Some of you say, Pastor, I pray and I run out of things to say. Well, you ran out of things you trust God for. And the more you trust God, the more you will pray. You ready for this? The less you will worry. Because if God's got it, you don't got to worry about it. So you pray, you trust God. But the third thing, the third habit is you meditate. You meditate on God's word. And I didn't put read God's word because obviously to meditate, you got to read on God's word. But to meditate is to spend extra time. Let me illustrate to you what meditating does. Meditating on God's word, it's like looking at a mirror. In fact, James says that the word of God is like a mirror, right? When you look at a mirror, you're like, oh man, I'm getting a pimple there and I'm getting some white hairs there and I'm losing my eyebrows and uh, I I see more uh, wrinkles in my face, right? That's what a mirror does, right? It it, it shows you, it shows you uh, uh, the condition you are in. And that's what the word of God does. But meditation goes a little bit deeper. Meditation not only looks It's not just like a mirror, but it's looking beyond the mirror, not just to see your true condition, but to see the way God sees you. And to say, you know, I've been a griton or a gritona lately, and God is not okay with that, but but you know what? God is patient with me, and he wants to help me to overcome that. That's what meditation does. And the more you get to know God, the more you'll want to become like him. So you pray, you trust, you meditate, and then fourth, you obey God. You obey God. Godliness is about pleasing God. Listen, obedience to God not only pleases God, obedience to God elevates your life. Anytime you obey God, you won't be worse for it. You'll be better for it. I used to love, I used to love, uh, I, I heard this quote uh, by uh, Dr. Charles Stanley. He used to say, obey God and leave the consequences to him. Just, just obey God and listen. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you know that. Well, you know this, but you probably won't say this. But obeying God, when you do the right thing and obey God, it doesn't necessarily mean that other people are going to do the right thing. Sometimes obeying God means that others don't do the right thing. And what do we do that? We obey God and we leave the consequences to him. Obey God. What has God told you to do? There's some things that God is always talking to us. Somebody this morning was sharing with me some things that God has said to him. And uh, he said, well, I don't know why God keeps telling me these things. And I told him, I'll tell you why. Because you listen and you obey. God's always talking to all of us. We're just busy and we don't obey. So guess what? He's not like you. He's not a griton, right? Okay, you don't want to listen? All right. I'll let you be. Obey God. What has he told you to do? For some of you, you think that the only thing God talks to you about spiritual matters? No, he'll talk to you about practical matters. Like go to bed early. Wake up a little bit earlier. Eat a little bit better. Change your friendships. Obey God. And then the next one, the next habit is to depend on the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, you can't be a godly person without the help of the Holy Spirit. 
He's the power of God for the Christian walk, right? And listen, there is never a time, there is never a time when the help of the Holy Spirit is not available to you. When you're tempted, you better bet he's there. When you're weak, you better bet he's there. When you're lost, you better bet he's there. And the Holy Spirit will lead you to all truth, will lead you to God. So depend on, learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to, now, young people, listen to me. Depending on the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you don't study, and then when the exam starts, you say, Holy Spirit, lead me to the answers. Okay, it doesn't work that way. You got to put in the work and then trust that the Holy Spirit will fill in the gaps. And the same is for the adults. If you're asking for help in your marriage, you got to do some work and then depend on the Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps. Amen. Amen? And then the next one, you ready for this? The next habit is to give. To be generous. If one thing God is, is that he's a generous God. And when we give, we become like him. Listen to me. There are two things that I believe, I, I hold a strong belief, are real spiritual decisions that most people don't see them as spiritual decisions. You want me to tell you what they are? Number one, who your friends are. Some of you, one of the most spiritual things you can do is to change your friendships, to change your circles. Your friendships, I believe, the, the circles that you're in, I believe is one of the most important spiritual decisions you can make. But the second one is to be a generous person. Because the Bible says that where your treasures are, there your heart will be. And, and listen, one of the last things to, to, to come to Jesus often is our wallet. We're willing to let God have our troubles We'll even willing to let God have our time, but don't touch our money, Lord. I worked so hard for that. And when we give to God, we are trusting God. We are saying, I know that all I have comes from you and that I can do better with 90% and your blessing than I can with 100% without your blessing. Right. Which, by the way, which, by the way, the Bible says that when we refuse to give God, we are robbing God. Some of you are asking God to bless you when you've been robbing Him. So you give. You give through tithes. We believe in tithing. I do it. It is a practice that my parents taught me. It is a practice that we're teaching our kids. And you give God 10% of all that He gives you. But you don't just tithe. You also need to be generous in your benevolence. you got to help other people. Right? We have to be generous people. Pastor, I'm trying to make it myself. Well, get in a budget. I won't go into that today, but get in a budget. If you get in a budget, you'll be able to do those two things. And then the last habit that leads to godliness is forgiving others. It's forgiving others. If you're generous, it's going to be a little bit easier to forgive because you're used to giving away. Now, Here's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness keeps our hearts soft and tender to Christ. Forgiveness is not always easy. Hear me out. But it is always possible. And forgiveness is not about setting the other person free, but setting ourselves free. 
Forgiveness is not about letting the other person go, but forgiveness is about setting ourselves free from the offense that was done to us. Why does forgiving others make us godly? Well, when you think about Jesus... The one thing you should think about is the fact that he forgave, forgives, and will continue to forgive your, off, your offenses. Amen? So that's how we train for godliness. I would encourage you to pick one or two of those and say, I'm going to work on those. I'm going to work. I'm going to come to prayer or I'm going to be more generous or, or I got to forgive my mom for what she said to my son or, 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 or you know, I, I don't know. I got to meditate. Would you pick one and say, I'm going to work on these with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what you need to know. Nothing stops you from becoming godly unless you're not a believer. Because as I've already told you, as believers, we have all it takes to be godly. Now, sometimes we don't train for godliness because we don't give value to it. We've learned to get along in our walk with the Lord by being a little godly and a little worldly, right? It's like, yeah, we go to church, but we got our dark sides. Yeah, we're involved in our life group, but we've still got some bad habits. So what I want to do is I want to give you two big motivations why to pursue godliness. Two big benefits. You ready for this? Here they are. Number one, the first reason to pursue godliness is because godliness is the key to a great relationship with God. Godliness is the key to a great relationship with God. I want to ask you a question, not to condemn you, because you don't have to give me your answer, but I do want you to reflect, and I want you to be honest with yourself. You ready? It's a simple but very powerful question. How's your relationship with the Lord? How's your relationship with the Lord? If you had to number it from 1 to 10, let me, and, and let me say it this way. Not what would you rate it, but what do you think God would rate it? Because some of us would be like, oh, you know, me and God, we're tight. But God would say, really? <laughs> How's your relationship with God? Can I tell you why this is important? Here's why this is important. Here's why this is a big benefit. You were created for relationships. You're a relational creature. Inside of some of you, exaggerate. You, you always need to be around somebody. And what you need is a spirit of peace. But, but all of us, we are created for relationships. We crave. We find our fulfillment in relationships. Okay? Now, listen. Listen to me. But we were created so that a relationship with God met our deepest needs so that then we could enjoy relationship with others. But you know what happens when our relationship with God isn't healthy? We expect others to meet our deepest needs. And that's why you and your husband can't get along. And that is why you and your kids can't get along. And that is why you and your boss can't get along. And that is why you and your neighbors can't get along. Because your deepest needs that are meant to be fulfilled by your relationship with God, you're putting them on other people. And nobody, nobody has the ability to fulfill your deepest needs like God can. Yeah. And that is the big benefit 
of being a godly person that you will have a great relationship with God. You'll be a whole person. You'll be able to enjoy other relationships more. You'll be a healthier person to be around. People will want to be around you. Your life will impact other people because your deepest needs are being met by the one that was meant to met them and you're not putting them on other people. That's what we find in Enoch. Look at what the Bible says in Genesis 5, through 24. It says, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in what? Close relationship with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived how many years? 365 years walking in close relationship with God. That is amazing. Because today the average Christian will be Christian for about five years before they go to the world, spend some time, and then come back. Enoch lived 365 years in close relationship with God. And he couldn't have done that if he wasn't a godly person. In fact, it's because he was a godly person that he spent time with God, that he enjoyed God, that he wanted to please God. And what was the outcome? Here's the outcome. Then one day, he what? Poof. He disappeared because God what? Took him. Here's what I imagine God told Enoch. You know what, Enoch? You want to be around me so much? You're always wanting me so much? I might as well bring you with me. Come on, let's go. I don't know about you. I'm grateful for life, but I'm looking forward to eternity. I don't know if you know, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about this in our next series, but... Eternity with God is going to be awesome. Right? But listen, you won't enjoy that relationship unless you start enjoying it here. And godliness is key to that. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. In our day, and if you serve in one of our ministries, please listen up. Please, please, please listen up. If you're in the computers, if you're with the kids, if you're in the worship team, if you're with the youth, if if you serve in any way, please, please listen up. In our day, our focus or the emphasis in the church oftentimes is to do great things for God. To be involved, to serve, to do all that stuff. And what we have lost sight of is that our doing and our effectiveness in doing comes from our being with God. And we often focus on are we doing and not on are we being. And what we do, at least the doing that has an impact, the doing that glorifies God is birthed from being, from having a relationship with God. So hear me out. I'm saying this as your loving pastor. If you're serving and you don't have a good relationship with God, please get that right. If you've been getting along with bad habits, with not reading your Bible, with not praying, with not living a godly life, please get that wrong. Get that right. Because the true power comes from what? From the inside. Look at what Jesus says when he was getting ready. What Mark wrote about Jesus when he was getting ready to choose his 12 disciples. He said he appointed 12 that they might what? Be with him that he might what? Send them out to preach. Jesus said first they got to be with me and then they can go out. First they got to spend time with me and then they can do. So godliness leads to a great relationship with God. And that's where ministry should flow for for all of us.
But the second benefit of godliness is that godliness is the key to a great life. Godliness is the key to a great life. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says the following. It says, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. It's of great benefit. Godliness is, is of great value, not only because it leads to a better relationship with God, but hear me out, it leads to a better life. There are people that are great athletes. There are people that are great singers. There are people that are great intellectuals. There are people that are great with their hands. People that are great with their, with cars. People that are great with computers. People that are great at decorating. And here's the thing. You could be great at something without having a good life. Did you know that? You could be great at one thing without having a good life. But here's the thing about godliness. Godliness leads to a, to a better, a greater life because godliness doesn't just tackle one area of your life. It tackles your whole person. Godliness impacts your whole person. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your finances. It impacts your academic life, your relational life, your, your psychological life. It impacts every area of your life. When you're godly, it is almost impossible for you to not live a better life. Here's why. Because the sorrows in our life came from what? Poor choices. They came from the bad choices we did. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.8. He says physical training is good, right? Physical training is good. I, I, I made a new decision that from now on I'm getting up at 5 in the morning. I used to get up at 6 to go run. Now I'm getting up at 5 in the morning to spend an extra hour in the gym. Because I, I want to get healthier. I want to get better. Right? And the Bible says that physical training is, of, is, is good. But look at this. But training for godliness is what? Much better. Promising benefits in this life. And what? In the life to come. Listen to me. Paul says that godliness is not just beneficial in the sweet by and by. But that godliness is beneficial in the nasty now and here. Okay? I don't know if you know this, but the believer has two lives. Did you know that? That as a follower of Christ, you have two lives. The life that you're living now and the life that you're going to live. And godliness impacts not just the life you're going to live, but it'll impact the life you have now. Amen. How is it that godliness leads to a better life? Well, godliness releases the blessings of God. Godliness leads to peace. Godliness leads to joy. Godliness leads to freedom. Godliness leads to happiness. Godliness leads to wisdom. Godliness leads to victory. Godliness leads to success. Because where God is, is where the goodness of life is. And what godliness does is, I want to be like God is. I'm not talking in His power. I'm talking about His character. So it could be possible that if you've been asking God to help you have a better life, God brought you here this morning to say, yeah, I want to do it, but you got to work on your godliness because that's the way I'm going to do it. In fact, let me end with this. It says that a mom went to go visit her son at, um, at his dorms in, in, in the university. 
and that when she walked into his dorms, it was very hard to miss all the pinup posters he had put on the wall. Some very improper, some very vulgar, some just didn't honor God at all. And it broke her heart when she saw her son having placed all these posters in his room. She said nothing, but as she went home, she prayed and she got an idea from the Lord. A week later, in the mail, her son received a package that came from his mom. And his mom had sent him a picture of Jesus. And he said, son, I just would like to remind you of your foundation and of your future. So the son grabbed that picture, that poster of Jesus, and he put it in the wall. And as he put it in the wall, he began to wrestle with himself. Well, where do I put Jesus next to the bikini girl or the guy flipping me off? So he made room for Jesus by taking one of the posters out. The next day, as he was sitting in front of his computer, he noticed the poster of Jesus. And he noticed the poster next to Jesus. And he felt uncomfortable. So he took the poster, the other poster out, and threw it in the trash. Little by little, the only poster that was left was the poster of Jesus. Now, that is a good illustration of what godliness is like. It's to say we bring Jesus into our lives and he impacts those areas of our life where we say, no, we're not going to kick Jesus out. We're going to kick those other habits out. So here's a question. What's hanging on your wall? What's the center of attention in your life? Is it Jesus? Or is it other things? Godliness is of great value because it leads to a better relationship with God and to a greater life. Would you bow your head with me? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.